Folks, welcome back to this week's Dan's Dabble in Babble. Thank you so much for joining again. Let's just get this right out of the way. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, please do so at Babbling Dan. And if you want to leave us a message, we will read it on the show. Read it, listen to it on the show. You can do that at anchor.fm slash Dan's hyphen babble hyphen in hyphen babble that's dan's dabble and babble with a bunch of hyphens in between that was messy luckily i've got my producer to catch my falls producer dennis this week was really an episode that was true to form in terms of our conception for this show wouldn't you say yes i would say we had a guest of a unique background that has some notoriety of from his work and you may not know who he is, but you might have heard him in one way or another, but not his voice. Right. And also, I made wild assumptions about what this man's career actually was. And he gently corrects me along the way. So if you just are here to hate listen uh, and watch me make an ass out of myself several times, then you're in for a great treat. But we've got a composer. You'll hear... Uh, me read off his long biography at the start of our interview. It was a great conversation. Not really just long, long and impressive. A very impressive, very impressive. Yes. yes, yes. I was uh, um, kind of overwhelmed by reading it. Again, I, it's, it's a fascinating guy um, who I knew nothing about. And I plug it in the interview, but I'll plug it again here. Uh, really recommend. It's a quick 10-minute TED Talk. If you YouTube Lucas Cantor, who's our guest this week, uh, and listen to his TED talk on artificial intelligence and how it relates to music. It's a fascinating listen, and uh, I recommend you give him a give him a listen after you listen to him here on Dan's Dabble and Babble. So, without further ado, welcome to this week. Babblers, as I read to you the introduction for our next guest, I want you to understand that there is not a word here that I don't wish I had all the time in the world to just really dive into. Uh, I feel like this is going to be an electric conversation just in the brief moments uh, that we've chatted before we started recording here. But with us this week is Lucas Cantor, who is a composer, producer, multi-instrumentalist and speaker. He finished Schubert's Eighth Symphony, the Unfinished Symphony, with the help of AI. The full symphony was premiered in London at Cadogan Hall and continues to be performed around the world. He's worked in NBC's music department for the Olympic Games in Salt Lake City, Athens, Torino, Beijing, Vancouver, London, Sochi, Rio, and Pyeongchang. He won two Emmys for the Olympics in 2008 and 2012. Lucas co-produced Lord's cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World on the Hunger Games Catching Fire soundtrack. He co-wrote the theme song for Major League Soccer on Fox with Dan Martinez Lucas, delivered a TED Talk on the subject of artificial intelligence and creativity. He is the chief composer at the Melbourne Deep Learning Group at the University of Melbourne, Australia. He composed music for the Netflix anime Cannon Busters. And we just learned is very particular about his hair, which we're going to dive into, hopefully all of that. So Lucas, welcome to the program. And how the heck are you? 
I'm good. It sounds like a lot when you read it all together like that. I know. Um, I was like, come on, be a bit braggadocious here. Cut, learn to edit, learn to edit. Yikes. Yeah, I would never, <laughs> I would never, um, totally you know, usually at a, if, at a party, if someone asked me what I do, I'll just say like, I'm a guitar player or something like that. But um, oh, you don't pull the list of all of the Olympics you've composed music for? Because <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, be well, let me my... remember the cities. Uh, just <laughs> In order, the years, the exact uh, 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 way your hair fell the day that it was finished. <laughs> I mean, this would be my opening line at any party. So I don't know. I think you're really missing an opportunity here. So I'm glad we've had this chat. Now I can only imagine the success that you're going to have knowing how to actually uh, introduce yourself to people going forward. A guitar player? Come on, Lucas, don't sell yourself short. Well, I think the, the real question is, um, what, what is a party? Do you remember? Like, I, you know, I, I, people in the same room together, you know, having recently showered. You. I'm going to be honest with you. I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. I understand you're in California. We are mm -hmm. living two very different worlds here. I have not even heard of the pandemic. It's, it feels like some days, except at my, at my workplace. It's like, oh, we care about this at work. But then the rest of the city uh, is uh, just pretty much, we're open for business. We're having a great time. So I don't know. I mean, we've got it figured out in St. Pete. Don't check our numbers. We've, we, we've got it figured out. <laughs> we're good. We're good. So, I mean, yeah, this, uh, this party thing, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it happens, but, uh, yeah. you know. Your governor just decided that you had a more disposable elderly population than our governor decided. Yeah, you know, where you got to split, draw the line somewhere, right? So uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, uh, listen, it, it seems like, to me, it seems like a very easy uh, line to draw. That's that, I mean, I don't know why, why complicate matters. <laughs> so I actually have some family in St. Pete's uh, uh, and I, my grandparents who are no longer with us, uh, lived down there right by St. Pete's Beach. So I know the area pretty well. I unfortunately only ever visited in the dead of summer. And I remember one day, it was July. I'm a, I'm a runner. I like to do, you know, runny type things. And I was like, I'm going to go for a couple mile run here at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon on July 20 something. And uh, I got like, I don't know, I was still in sight of my grandparents' house when I like decided that I had to abort it because I wasn't sure I could make it back because I was no. running in like soup. And it was 150 Listen, so degrees out. My, my entire life, I have said, I love the swamp. I love the swamp. I was born and raised in the Midwest. I just moved to St. Pete uh, from the Chicago area in July. And when I moved down here, I was running six to eight miles a day. I got here the first day I went on a run. I got two miles in and it was like, oh my God, I am going to die. <laughs> the, the, the humidity is no joke. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Honestly, like the fact that the weather that I have today on January 27th is worth, I mean, I will swim to work in the summer. Uh, I'm a teacher. I don't work in the summer. That's a joke. Uh, any, <laughs> anywho, but I will take the humidity. But no, you're, the, the running thing is, is no joke. It doesn't matter how fit you are. The amount of hydration, I have never... Uh, had this kind of relationship with water because you just go through your day and you're like, oh my God, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. If I don't have a full bottle of water right now, I am literally going to go straight to the hospital after work. Um, so listen, the, I'm sure my liver's quite happy with all the water that, that we're coming in. Yes, some healthy people down there in St. Pete's. <laughs> That's the, the first word that comes to mind, I'm sure, for most people when, when we think St. Pete. We drink a lot of water. Is, and man, what do you think healthy. is the first thing? What do you think is the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about that? 
So, so the, the first word, it depends on what generation. So previous generations will say shuffleboard because I, I initially, uh, or not initially, but, but about 20 years ago, St. Pete was notorious for being a retirement community. There was literally shuffleboard courts on the sidewalks. Um, but lately we've got a young, hip, artsy crowd. I say lately, like I've been here longer than six months and I'm clearly part of the young, hip, artsy crowd. Uh, but, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, that, that. That's the word that comes to mind. I think artsy, but really, we do have a, a fantastic art scene here. So, if you do have the chance to come visit St. Pete, I think there's there's a lot here for you. Well, I will because I still have some family there, so I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely come there. Well, perfect. Um, and since the whole point of this podcast was you and I becoming friends, this is off to a great start. You've already got plans to come visit me. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a spare room? Can I come? I your absolutely couch? do. I have cool. a spare can, room. Can and my wife and two kids crash on your couch with me? Uh, 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 cra- crash on. My we have couch. two dogs also. Listen, are you guys? Are you dog friendly? Uh, I've got a dog and a cat. I'm sure they'll be best of friends too. Uh, mm-hmm. The furniture in my spare bedroom is nicer than the furniture that I have in my own room. So I'm putting you up in style. Don't you worry about Fantastic. that. Fantastic. I'll take it. <laughs> so as, as much fun as this is talking about literally jack shit, you're quite, <laughs> quite a, you've got quite the impressive resume. We've had um, an Olympic gymnast, a bronze medal Olympic gymnast, personal hero of mine on the show. Now we've got someone who's written music for NBC for the Olympics. So I want to start uh, just by talking about that Olympic thread. Have you always been a massive Olympic fan? I know you've written for soccer as well. Is sports something that you've been into or is it something that just kind of by being in the music scene that you had this opportunity come up or, or kind of how, how did this opportunity present itself and, and what does it mean to you to be able to write something so tied to emotion, tied to something as beautiful as the Olympics? So I'm gonna have to disappoint you just a little bit. Um, it, it's a little bit of both and I should be clear, like I work mostly in the music services department for the Olympics specifically and some of my music is on the Olympics, but I, I'm not John Williams, I did not write the, the big like fanfare things that you hear uh, that you probably associate with the Olympics. Incidentally, John Williams didn't write that um, either. That was written <laughs> by a guy named uh, um, Pierre uh, Arnaud. Do I have that right? No, I don't have it right. But it was written by someone else who um, wrote it in the 1920s and John Williams arranged it and then added a bunch of other stuff. Um, I did that's write right. the team for, uh, for Major League Soccer and there is something amazing about knowing that uh, dozens of Americans and billions of other people <laughs> are listening to your music. Um, that, is, that is very, very humbling, very vindicating all around. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wasn't like, I mean, I've, I've always been athletic. I've always liked sports. I was, uh, I'll tell you a little known fact. Um, I was the captain of my high school lacrosse team, which is not at all in keeping with the way I live my life today, but that was, uh, that was true of me uh, back then. And I, so I've always kind of liked sports and I ended up working for NBC Sports. I started like everybody in sports television starts. I started as a runner, uh, which is, you know, just a, just a gopher. You just do whatever the production needs. And I worked my way up to being a, an associate producer and working in the music department. And I started to notice, you know, hey, I, I play guitar. I, I, can, I can make some of the, this music that they use on air. And so I started making it and they started using it. And so I started doing that more. And eventually that became more my job than, uh, than doing the, uh, the paperwork that I used to do in doing the production. So, but, uh, and I'm sure you have days where you just miss the paperwork, miss the errands. 
Do you ever just go grab a coworker some coffee just to relive your glory days? You know, you ever hear, um, I, to, to, to be honest, you ever hear the story of the guy who uh, works for the circus and he's shoveling shit and someone comes up to him and says, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you get a better job? And he says, what, and leave show business? Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, there's a part, well, well, of course my days as a runner were not glamorous. There was something fun about being in my twenties and working on these crazy events and, you know, having what at the time I thought was a lot of responsibility, but what in retrospect was basically no responsibility. Um, <laughs> and, you know, on the Olympics, one of the things I, you know, want to make clear is like, I've worked on all these Olympics. I, I did win some awards for some of them, but had I, you know, not been there, the show was still going to get on the air. Um, and uh, my contribution was important, but by, you know, I, I wasn't the executive producer. Um, so now uh, that is, that's your opening line at a party. Listen, I worked on the Olympics, but if I wasn't there, you wouldn't have noticed a damn thing different. That, <laughs> that, that's, that's how you set yourself apart. Uh, it's, it's a lucky thing that job interviews aren't really a part of my life. Cause I think I would be very, very bad at them. Oh no. I, I think, uh, I, I, I think you're uh, very disarming. If you get, get your foot in the door, just uh, the honesty, I, it's, it's, going to be it's going to be comforting to whoever's hiring you because they're they know that you're not going to be gunning for their position because listen you're happy to run errands and, <laughs> and, and you don't think you contribute a damn thing so you're never going <laughs> to exactly. oversell yourself that's you sound like a great great person to hire if i'm ever interviewing for anything i'm just going to call you up just to know what i'm looking for perfect i got your back <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, I, I have to say, and I will plug for you, um, I really can't recommend enough that people go to YouTube as soon as they're done here, type in Lucas Cantor and uh, t uh, listen to your TED Talk. Your TED Talk was really fascinating about kind of what is music, what is creativity, what is emotion. Um, and so another kind of theme of our show is me talking with guests about uh, things that I don't know a lot about and scare me. So we had a Bitcoin expert on before the Bitcoin expert was on. I knew nothing about Bitcoin and it scared me. Now I know a little bit about Bitcoin and I'm slightly less scared. So artificial intelligence, should I be scared? Let's start there, Lucas. Well, it depends. Uh, what, is, what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is that my trade is as a synthetic chemist. My biggest fear is that computers are going to be able to do chemistry better than me. Computers can already do chemistry better than you. See? <laughs> so, 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 so what you're telling me is I should never sleep again because I need to be working way harder on, on my chemistry skills. This is a nightmare. But, but, well, let's do, uh, a, let's do a thought experiment. Um, mm -hmm. So imagine if tomorrow morning you woke up and the chat box that they use to to you know, do customer service or direct you to the right menu on your bank had just gotten a thousand times better and were pretty much capable of natural language conversation. Mm -hmm. That is not far-fetched. That's sure. probably not far in the future. Does that mean that human beings never need to talk to each other again? Uh, I think yes. Well, that, I think I mean, probably we, not. 
listen, so, listen, listen to how, I mean, the, the evidence is how everybody is coping with the pandemic. I've, I mean, I've not heard a single person complain about a single stay at home order. We are very capable of just never talking to each other ever again. I mean, the fact that anybody's going to tune into this podcast and listen to people talk when they could sit in a dark room quiet um, and talk to their uh, automatic bank teller. I mean, come on. What, 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 are we, what are we here for, Lucas? Yeah, I mean, people are yearning for connection. And I, I like to use that example because it's so present. But just the, the idea that AI, just because a computer can do something doesn't mean that humans are not needed to do it and will not want to continue to do it. And, um, you know, you watched my, my talk. It's, my talk is, in a nutshell, about the fact that what we are reacting to when we listen to music is much more than just the notes that we're hearing. It's the entire experience. It's our entire life's experience wrapped up into the, um, uh, into the song that we're listening to. And the human connection that we, that we have with each other when we just talk or when we share music, or when we do any kind of art, or even when we do science is really where the value is. And the, the fact that computers can do the, the sort of nitty gritty, the part of it that our meat brains aren't quite as good at the calculation and the estimation and all that stuff is, is great. It's only going to, it's only going to help society move forward. Um, and the, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that is a, that's a really interesting perspective and a great way to frame that. Uh, and that, and, and viewing this as a tool to, to kind of make exactly as you're saying, the, the grind part of, of name an industry, if, if the grind is taken away and then we can be more thoughtful about, you know, what are the applications of this is, is, I mean, going back to chemistry as an example, for me, there's so much effort of just how can we get this reaction to work? How can we get the system to work? If we could spend more time as humans thinking about, uh, you know, kind of what the perfect product to make in a lab is and, and what applications we really want and have better artificial intelligence to help us get uh, those products and processes developed, then that's a, that's a totally different dynamic. Yeah, one thing that you as a chemist can do really well as a human chemist is extrapolate large trends and come up with creative uh, comparisons between them and see patterns that are not necessarily obvious between large sort of abstract data streams. Um, and computers are not quite as good at that as we are yet, but what they are way better at is if you're doing an experiment and it works sometimes and it doesn't work other times, an AI might be able to look at your 10,000 attempts and say, you know, when the humidity is between this and this, and also the moon is at this phase and also these seven other things that all have like a 2% um, you know, effect on something, but you as a human would never be able to add up so many data points and correlate them all together. Computers are really great at that. And so that makes them good at picking out trends that we can't see, but we're also really good at picking out trends that they can't see. So for now, although maybe that'll change. That, no, I, I think that's, uh, that's an excellent point. And it does call into question, I guess where I fall on this is, is how do we keep in the conversation the ethical application of artificial intelligence and what does that even mean so i mean you brought up the example of i think a really uh a really straightforward example a really an example that's not far-fetched to imagine of any kind of customer service interaction that you call up and call up amazon call up your bank whatever and it can mimic human conversation um then you know you you kind of started with people will still 
yearn for human interaction. People still want these jobs. Uh, but at what point do the people that are on the other side kind of looking at the bottom line say, well, so uh, it, it's much cheaper to employ artificial intelligence and kind of how can think of how we can remove the human element from that. So I guess is, is where, where does that kind of rank for you? How do you grapple with that aspect of the artificial intelligence discussion? Uh, it, that's, you know, I, that's really not my department. I don't, um, I'm not in a, I'm not in a position like that. And my view on the ethics of it is, uh, it, it's, I mean, how, how do, let's see, how do I put it? Throughout history, technology has always caused these kinds of fears and they're usually unfounded. And when they are not unfounded, like, you know, there are no more lamplighters, there are no more, you know, there are far fewer horse stage stables, or I think it's probably no stages anymore where you can rest your horse and move on to the next uh, stage down the road. And, you know, those jobs are gone and the world is different because of that. But, but is, is the world worse off than it was a thousand years ago, a couple hundred years ago? Probably not. And it is, it is sad that individual people have to lose their livelihood because they've been automated out of a job. But sh should we retard human progress for that reason? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, this, these are, these are the, the big questions, the difficult questions, but, I, but you make excellent points there. Of, um, it's easy to kind of lean into the fear and uh, kind of look at the doom and gloom. And then, uh, you know, as, as nostalgic and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, bucolic is not the right word, but the, as nostalgic as it would feel to walk out on my street and see a lamplighter, as much as I would love that, it's probably, we're probably in a much better uh, place with electric lights. So uh, kind of keeping that in perspective, certainly, uh, kind of helps uh, to to guide the discussion. I and think it's never been a winning argument. That, that's the argument that we should not make a technological advancement in order to save a small elite class of people from being automated out of work has never succeeded, and I think it will never succeed. So the uh, so I so I look at you know I look at my um, my job and I think that as a composer and a you know speaker and a writer and a you know moderately established one that I, my career is probably going to be okay regardless of what technological advancements come up but mm -hmm. it might be that in 20 years the idea that a human being would write music for a television show is just ridiculous that's possible um and we'll just have to adapt and there is a lot of uh human ingenuity and human creativity that will be lost in that transition but it's it's hard to know how much you know we, we will gain we will probably gain something um, because history has shown us that we always do when we lean into technology. No, of course. And I, and I think it, it is a changing dynamic and, and, and especially in creative fields. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, there's um, some element of creativity that's necessary to the, it's, it's the human experience, right. To, to have creative ingenuity, whether it's chemistry, whether it's music, you have to come up with creative solutions to these problems. And as good as, artificial intelligence can get and kind of concentrate uh, the decision making into, uh, I guess, a relative few, there's, there is always going to be um, that discussion of, of uh, broadening horizons and applications that have not even been previously explored. So I think you're right in that 
it, it, it certainly opens up new frontiers that are uh, hard to imagine because we're really, um, in a lot of ways, certainly in the infancy of this um, artificial intelligence thing. Yeah, we're, it's, 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 way, it's way scarier than that, actually. Um, it's, um, so the, uh, what artificial intelligence and what sort of synthetic thinking is forcing us to do is re-examine our assumptions about what thinking and what consciousness are. And that's an uncomfortable thing to do because it might turn out that there is theoretically and practically no reason why a computer cannot be conscious and that a computer consciousness is every bit as valid as a human consciousness. It should be treated the same way, or maybe should be even revered higher than the human consciousness. That, that's possible. Um, it's possible that we could come to that logical conclusion. I don't know if emotionally anybody would ever get there, but it's a very uncomfortable discussion to have to think about. You know, we've had the monopoly on consciousness for the entirety of human history for, you know, whatever, a million years since we, since we started walking upright. And facing down, we're really facing down our own mortality. It's, it's possible that we no longer have the monopoly on consciousness. And, you know, I said before, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit, that we've, you know, we've always gained something from technological advances, but there's no way to know if that's true. The narrative of humanity is that we're always moving forward, but it could be that we're on like some weird diversion and the actual greater good of humanity is in a direction that we decided not to take hundred years, hundreds of years ago. And we're, we could very well be on the course of our own destruction. And the only way to find that out is to ask and to think about it, which is a scary thing to do because we might find out that we're doomed. Right. Well, and even beyond that, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to even probe the question, but even having the tools to be able to, to come to any real definitive conclusion on that line of thinking uh, is, is very difficult. I mean, you point to uh, uh, thought leaders that have, gone down that line of thinking i mean that that has kind of been all of the discussion and with technology specifically i mean there's examples of course of uh brave new world 1984 those types of things of these um kind of uh, just reaching this point of no return with technology and i think there is um i mean you see it right now that you know the concentration of uh the power in the tech sphere uh, with companies like Twitter and Facebook and the discussion on, you know, what is Twitter? Is Twitter an open forum? Is Twitter a publisher? Where does Twitter ethically have a responsibility when it comes to uh, regulating its content? And I think at, at this point, there has not been uh, a lot of competition uh, emerge to that to, to really, so it feels like the conversation is kind of uh, driven by, uh, these few companies, these large tech giants, but but again, it's it's still these questions are relatively new, relatively young that we're that we're grappling with, and I think you're, I mean, you're starting to see the emergence of alternatives to 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 all of that to to challenge that and to to have the discussion. So um, it, it's, it's it's certainly certainly an ongoing discussion. Certainly, no easy way to come to a to a conclusion definitively. On, on anything there. Um, so I, I, I do want to make sure that, that we have time because I am curious with um, writing the theme song for Major League Soccer um, and not to, if you've got more to say on artificial intelligence, then but be my guest. But, but I want to know kind of what the process for that for you is like when you're, when you're writing a theme song for a professional sports league, what's, what kind of 
parameters were you working with? What, what did you go into the experience hoping to do? And what were you um, kind of, kind of gaining um, or not, not gaining, but what, but what were you uh, hoping to evoke with, with what you composed for major league soccer? Uh, that's a great question. Um, one of the things is I should just be clear. I didn't write the, the theme for the league. I wrote the theme for the coverage on Fox, which is on Fox. a slight sure. station, but there yes. is like a theme for major league soccer, which uh, someone else wrote for, and that's gotcha. the, the, the entity that is major league soccer commission that mm-hmm. went off. I'm just getting everything. I, I just want to be upfront with my listeners. I am getting everything about Lucas's career completely wrong. <laughs> no. So thank, thank you for being, <laughs> thank you for being patient with me as, as we steer through this. I'm, You're not getting anything wrong. <laughs> it's just that the, the music business, um, is complicated. And, um, what you said is right, but, Detail, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting the details right because I don't want my colleagues to hear this and say like, hey, you didn't write that because um, they'll understand right. these stupid no. subtle distinctions. But um, when I, when I, you know, we went, I went for a meeting at Fox Sports. They had heard some of my stuff. One of my dear friends works there and is in charge of music and she thought this would be a good fit for me. And, you know, we talked with the producers about what they, what they want, what they're trying to what they're trying to evoke with a theme song, how they're presenting the sport, what the sport means to them in the context of all of their other broadcasting, what their goals are for the sport, all that stuff. And, and then I just start writing things and send them. Uh, I think the one that ended up going to air was the seventh or eighth one that I submitted. And they, and they liked all of them, but then they, they, the one that we did had more of a, modern sort of EDM flavor to it. And they thought that that would be good, especially for soccer, because you want to bring young viewers into soccer. So we were trying to give them some of the sounds that they're more familiar with. And that's, uh, that's it. It's a, it's a pretty, it's funny because I hear a lot of composers describe the process of doing multiple demos as like stressful or um, annoying and clients giving feedback. But I, I actually love this process. I love working with someone who's not a musician, but is a very high level creative, like, you know, the executive producer of Fox Sports. You know, this is a person who might not have a musical background, but they know how to make stuff that people want to watch. And I love getting feedback from a person like that and trying to interpret what they want and what they need and what the show needs. And so it's a, you know, it's, it's basically a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, you get a theme song on television. Right. Which I mean, that just to be able to say that alone is, is, unbelievable uh it it does kind of bring up the question though of of being a creative person for yourself and then kind of having um this audience in mind which uh, of course i mean generally uh, i mean uh, of course creative people will write for themselves compose uh for themselves for they want to hear uh but you know generally you're considering some audience uh but what does that do to your process to to kind of have um, this, this input from a source that's, that's basically essentially, right. Let's call it a spade a spade for major league soccer on Fox. The, the goal is to just have mass market appeal. Um, not that that's necessarily, necessarily inherently, uh, damaging to the creative process, but it certainly is a consideration that, um, is not always necessarily there in the composition process. So, so that factor of kind of having that, that mass marketability, um, and of course, you're you're working in television. This is something that uh, that you work with, but is, is that something that you've always been comfortable with, or or growing with that idea of um, kind of 
finding that mass appeal, how, how, how does that work for you? And, and, and what does that do to your creative process? Well, I think it's a myth that creativity and popularity are two different things and that creativity and um, writing for an audience are incompatible. If you're a uh, creative person, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see, but if you're a creative person and you write music for yourself and never show it to anyone, then you're, you're not, a, well, you're certainly not a professional creative. And I would go as far as to say you're not really that creative because a creative person needs to show their work to someone and get feedback. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a word for um, when you do things that usually, thinking of a specific act, when you do something that you usually do with other people, but you do it by yourself. Um, that's kind of what it's like, I think, to write a song and never show it to anyone because how can you know what that song means? It might mean something to you, but that's, you know, like if someone is, a, is journaling, that doesn't necessarily make them a novelist, right? And so I think that uh, there is an essential part of the creative process for me, which is getting feedback from other people and making my music accessible to them. Um, that said, I don't always take everybody's notes. I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, do create everything so that other people will like it. I, but it is something I've learned over time is that, you know, if you want to be a professional artist, you have to be able to speak to an audience because, um, <laughs> because that's, that's how you, that's how you earn a living and that's how you're able to continue to make your art. So while I'm still a, a blushing from your uh, uh, metaphor there, uh, it, it, when do you think that you're going to uh, reach the point where you just become this a stereotypical um, archetype of the most difficult person in the room to deal with that if someone gives you a note, you just throw a chair at them and walk out of the room. When, when does that Lucas emerge? Because that's a Lucas that I can really get on board with. Um, you're never, that's never going to happen. Okay. I, I, you know, right. I, wish, I wish I could tell you I'll become that person, but I really, you know, I enjoy the process. <laughs> do, I have done projects do you, where- Do you yeah. really wish that you're, is, is that a note that you give yourself that, you know, I'm just too reasonable. I'm too easy to work with. <laughs> I'm too humble. God, that's my most toxic trait is I just get along with people and I get the job done. I have to be, it's, it's a, I know you're joking, but to be serious, I have actually had moments where I thought, you know what, I should have thought for that idea a little bit harder. Sure, sure. Um, well, no, yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's natural in, in, in a workplace environment, right? It, yeah. it, it is kind of having, having something that you're really passionate about, which if, especially in a creative field such as yourself is going to come up that, that you know, it's, it's it, when you play the, the nice guy to, to get along, sometimes uh, you're, you're certainly going to regret that. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It is, it is a fine line. Now we've had, uh, this has been a great conversation. I've had a lot of fun talking with you. Uh, so I, 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 just to end on kind of a lighthearted note here, you said it's been several months since you've gotten a haircut. So, so walk us through Lucas's quarantine hair uh, <laughs> and, and how, how are you managing without going to that. I'm just going to make a wild assumption about you that you're a salon type of guy. You're not going to a barbershop. You're going to a high-end bougie. You're being treated well when you get a haircut. So how are you getting through without that? Yeah, I go to Floyd's Barbershop, which is where you can get in and out in like 15 minutes. Um, and my 15 direction- 15 minutes, goodness. Yeah. That, that, that is the works. Yeah. You, are, you I, are getting luxury treatment from Floyd. My, my direction is um, uh, to the people who cut my hair is usually 
I don't use any product. I don't do anything with my hair. Just make it so that I can wake up and go do stuff or take a shower and go do stuff. And so um, right now it's uh, long. It's almost, it's kind of like froey, and it's almost long, long enough. It's like almost long enough that I could ponytail it, but not quite. It's in that very sort of awkward length. And uh, I, I can't seem to comb it or like when I comb it, it looks like I have this big quaff to the side. So it's a, uh, it's a situation. I, I, I really, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm yeah. not hearing anything. I don't like Lucas. It, it, <laughs> it, all, it all sounds incredible, but I do want to give you an opportunity. Where can people find you? Uh, anything that you want to plug? What, what do you want to leave our audience with today? I will plug three things. So I have sort of two aspects to my career at the moment. One of them, is music and you can find my Instagram, which is just Lucas D Cantor. And the other one is uh, I'm writing a book and I'm working on a podcast about books and that is called the book society. And that Instagram is book society pod. So Lucas D Cantor or book society pod on Instagram. And all my music is on Spotify. I released an album this week called space hustle, which is this cool, funky jam bandy music. And uh, yeah, I encourage you to find me there. Lucas D Cantor book society pod and Lucas Cantor on Spotify. That sounds incredible. Space Hustle, you said it was called? Space Hustle, yep. I am going straight to Spotify right after this. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for joining us. And to all my babblers, babble on.